Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. If you're uh, staying in here with us, I invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 8. Or obviously it's in your it's in your it's in the bulletins as well. Hey Cora, it's good to see you. You know, more than uh, birthdays, uh, more than anniversaries, more than national holidays, or even uh, more than even Christmas. As Christ- Easter is the biggest celebration we have. It really is. I mean, like this is this is party day. You know, what, what happened on that first Easter morning is the reason we can get out of bed in the mornings, right? It's the reason we have any hope. And yet, because we live in a world, and more specifically in a culture, that really just doesn't know what Easter is about, it's easy for Easter to become about, you know, wearing pastels, which y'all look beautiful, by the way, uh, wearing pastels, um, Christmas brunch, um, our kids with those smocked outfits we just saw walk out. You know, in thinking about how Christians celebrate Easter, Billy Crystal said, he's of course a Jew, Billy Crystal said, 2,000 years ago, Jesus was crucified. Three days later, he walked out of a cave, and Christians celebrate with chocolate bunnies, marshmallow peeps, and beautifully decorated eggs. He then quipped, I guess those were things Jesus loved as a child, I guess. And y'all know, I mean, it's nothing against any of that, um, but, but n- none of that is worthy of the biggest celebration we, we know, especially the marshmallow candy, right? Now, now, Christianity isn't based on the philosophies or sayings of some teacher like the other world, like many other world religions. Christianity is based on a historical event that in time and space, we see that we have a God who brings life from the dead, that we have a God who, who gives hope to the hopeless, and this is so much the case that if the resurrection didn't happen, there would be no Christianity. And we wouldn't be here. Like, literally, there would be no New Testament. You know, we, we, would, have, we would know nothing of what Jesus ever taught. It wouldn't even matter. The sole reason we even have the New Testament is because Jesus died for the sins of his people. And then against all odds, he rose from the dead. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, people said, you know, we need to write this down. This seems pretty important. And they recorded it. And so for us as Christians, it really is resurrection or bust. You know, if, if Jesus really did rise from the dead, then we have to accept it all as true. But if he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of it? Why worry about anything, Jesus said. Leslie Newbigin said, It has never been possible to fit the resurrection of Jesus into any worldview except a worldview of which it is the very basis well, the last several years, for those of you who have been here the last several years, will know that uh, typically I've done more of like an apologetic type sermon on Easter, exploring the historicity and the evidence of the resurrection, of which there is there's plenty. Uh, but this year, we're, we're not going to do that. This year, uh, we're going to spend some time on um, well, what the resurrection means. Um, I, I think we've 
we've spent enough time proving it. You know, as Robert Townsend said, if you don't believe in the resurrection of the dead, look at any office at quitting time. <laughs> like, talk about life from the dead right there. Um, we're going to talk about what the resurrection means. Like, what does it mean for you? What does it mean for us? And we're going to do so by looking at a passage that isn't typically talked about on Easter. Uh, it's it's kind of dark. It, it's a tough passage, and yet it may be the most vivid picture of why we need the resurrection. And so, so we can see what the resurrection means for us. We're going to see what Jesus did with the most intense depiction of bondage, destruction, and death we have in the New Testament. So with that said, this is God's Word, Luke 8, 26-39. Well, then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. And when Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes. He had not lived in a house but among the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out and he fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus? Son of the Most High God, I beg you, do not torment me. For he had, he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him, and he was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons have entered him. And they, begged him not to be, and they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now there was a large herd of pigs that were feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him to let them enter these. So Jesus gave them permission. And then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs. And the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. And when the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. And then people went out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus, and they found that man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So Jesus got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away saying, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Let's pray. Father, we've just read your word, and now uh, may we receive it. Uh, just as we unpack that, uh, Lord, may th this next 20, 30 minutes um, bring us back to the gospel. Lord, show us, show us the beauty of Jesus. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You know, for the, for the resurrection to be amazing, we, we first have to understand our need of the resurrection. Like, this isn't just something that just kind of happened that doesn't affect us. We need it, which is our first point. J.C. Ryle began his book, Holiness, with these really wise words. He wrote, Anyone who wishes to attain right views about Christian holiness must begin by examining the vast and solemn subject of sin. Ryle said, We must dig down very low if we are to build high. The plain truth is that a right knowledge of sin lies at the root of all saving faith. He said, Without that, 
doctrines such as justification, conversion, and sanctification, they're just words. They don't, they don't mean anything. So Raul concluded, the first thing God does when he makes anyone a new creature in Christ is to send light into his heart and show him that he is a sinner. Well, some 2,000 years ago, Jesus stepped off a boat, and immediately he was met by a man who was the epitome of need. If anyone was ever hopelessly in bondage and in need of resurrection power, it was, it was this man, man. And if you've ever wondered where your sin is going to lead, where your sin is taking you, we don't have to look any further than this man. The church father, Tertullian, said, The glory of God is man fully alive, like man not in bondage, man free, man fully alive, living for God. That is the glory of God. And yet sin and evil had made this man the opposite of that. I mean, he was, he was the walking dead, like, I mean, like literally living in a graveyard. And you know, Luke reminds us here of a reality that, unless you're watching some like a horror movie, we don't really like to think about. That because of the fall, if we just kind of go with the flow of, of the world, then we, we succumb to the world, to our flesh, and, and yes, we can succumb to the devil. And now humans, you know, throughout history, we have, we have historically viewed the demonic in, in one of two ways, and both are not right, both are not really helpful. Uh, one, we can think too much of evil, right? That there's a demon behind every flat tire, there's a demon behind every glitch, especially sound glitches during worship services. Amen. Uh, behind every bush, behind every political view we disagree with, there is a demon lurking to torment us. Behind every sin we commit, we think that the devil made me do it. Right? We can think too much of evil, or two, we can think too little of it. Um, you know, some people can say that, you know, really this whole thing right here, this is really just this ancient, this archaic superstition that really doesn't fit in our modern world. I mean, come on, demons, come on. And, and so modern readers would probably just say, you know, this, this man clearly just has a mental illness. Give him some counseling, give him some medicine, he'll be fine. Right? And it would be easy to think that had we not also experienced in varying degrees the misery of an unsettled soul. Okay, well, both of those, thinking too much, thinking too little, both of those make Satan happy as a lark. But Jesus offers us a, a third way of viewing this. He says, yes, we have a very real enemy, one who prowls around like a lion seeking someone to devour, but because of Jesus, not only is he on a chain, he's a lion who's on a chain, but his days are numbered. We've mentioned this before. He's a snake whose head was crushed on the cross, but like all snakes who've been beheaded, y'all have seen this in the country, right? You cut, a, you cut a snake's head off, and it continues to slither and wreak havoc, maybe even more, more crazily than it did before, and it will do so until his whole body figures out that, you know what, he's already dead. But in the meantime, yes, the demonic is real. Okay, granted, believers can't be possessed by demons because we are already possessed by the Holy Spirit and sealed by the Spirit. But though believers can't be possessed by demons, we sure can be influenced and distracted, right, by the culture, by our own flesh, and even by Satan. 
I mean, think of the context here. It's not like this man just woke up one morning with 6,000 demons in him, and, 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 which is what legion means, and, and say, you know, I think I'm just going to move out. I'm just going to start living in the graveyard. You know, that, that's something that happened gradually over time. You get to the point where you don't live in the graveyard by choice, right? You live there because you don't have anywhere else to live. And he lived in one of the most pagan Gentile areas, at least in this region around the Sea of Galilee, hence all the pigs. And over time, he had no doubt done things that had led to his own captivity in the tombs. And it's really easy to judge this man. You know, and, and like, who would do that? And yet, in America, we aren't that different, are we? Um, we definitely aren't that different in America. Um, granted, most of us don't go worship at some, satan- <laughs> so some satanic temple, but yet... Uh, his influence is way more subtle than that. It, it's in what we watch and what we listen to and what we fill our minds with, what, what our influences are. You know, just like this man living in a pagan land, when we go with the flow in a culture in America, that is anti-God, by the way. Like, we can't be surprised when we ourselves end up being anti-God or our kids become anti-God and we're lost and hopeless. Like, that shouldn't surprise us. When we live in a culture in which social media makes narcissists of us all, we can't be surprised when we don't want to follow the Jesus way by dying to self. And we, we, we shouldn't be surprised when spiritual fruit just doesn't grow. You know? Left on our own, this world will trend our souls towards misery and shackles every single time and make us slaves of it. And, and any time we make anything other than Jesus you know, the chain breaker. We make anything other than him our savior, then we become slaves to it. And so if, you know, if people liking is our salvation, that's how we receive hope, then we will be controlled by what people think of us. We'll be enslaved by it. If, if our career is our it, then we'll be controlled by it. If being comfortable is our goal in life, then our lives will be very, very small. And this enslavement, it happens gradually. And y'all remember uh, the national news story I shared several years ago about this man named Antoine Gates. Uh, if y'all remember, Antoine was this, this man who checked himself into a New York City hospital emergency room, uh, claiming that he had been bitten by a pit bull, right? And, and the doctors took one look at his wound, and they said, that ain't, that ain't a dog that, that bit you. He took, they took one look at his bite and realized that this was an animal with much larger jaws that had gotten into him. And so the doctors, this doesn't seem right. So the doctors told the police to go check it out. Well, they went, checked out his apartment. It turned out that Antoine Gates had a 500-pound tiger living in his New York high-rise apartment. And you wonder, how in the world? Well, as the story goes, uh, Antoine got the tiger uh, as a kitten, uh, I guess a, a cub, tiger cub, right? And it was, of course, all, I mean, cute and cuddly, as all tiger cubs are. And Antoine loved that kitten. And he fed, fed him, raised him in that apartment, and things were fine. At, at first, he could manage the tiger, but, you know, tigers don't stay cubs <laughs> for very long. And the tiger kept growing to the point that Antoine couldn't control it anymore. But rather, it controlled him. And so he got to the point where he had to put the tiger in his own locked room in the back of his apartment and he would open the door, throw in raw meat to feed the tiger, close it just in time before getting mauled. Well, 
um, over time, it got to where he could only crack the door just barely enough to get the food in without getting mauled. Well, on the emergency room day, he went to feed his tiger, barely opened the door, but the tiger was waiting. Grabbed his hand, yanked him into the door, and almost killed him. And, you know, think, what, like, okay, who, who would do that? Uh, it, crazy, yet true story. But I just don't know if there is a more honest picture of our sin than that. You know, at the beginning, it's, it's easy to think we can manage it. But as our sin gradually grows, at some point, it's just like this line is crossed. And it's like, not only, like, that sin is not only managing us, but now it owns us. I mean, we, we live beneath that sin. Our lives revolve around keeping that sin, keeping that tiger secret, and keeping it satisfied. It's our whole life, and we're its slave. You know, all of a sudden, that sin, it, it becomes our very identity, right? It, it's, it's the story of countless uh, addictions, isn't it? Of, of alcohol, of, of drug, of pornography, of sex addiction. It, you know, it starts kind of small, and we think we can kind of manage it, and, but sin is unmanageable. You know, eating disorders... It's the story of abusive relationships and wounds from the past, financial greed that has kind of snowballed with time. You know, isn't it the story of so many who are still bound by sins? Uh, many who are still bound by things that happened even decades ago that still own you, that still have you in bondage. You know, in Mark, Jesus asked this man who he was, and he said, Legion, for we are many. I mean, this man was so in bondage that his very identity, the way he viewed himself, his very identity was his, his demons. It was his sin. I mean, there was no hope for him. <laughs> well, there was really no hope for Antoine either. Uh, he couldn't get rid of that tiger by himself. I mean, it would have killed half his apartment building if he'd let it go. I mean, heck, it would have killed him. So Antoine needed something bigger than himself to rescue him. And, and so a whole team of police and, and animal control officers had to go up to his high-rise apartment and tranquilize that, that tiger and move that tiger out before Antoine could be free. He could actually like walk around his apartment without fear of death. So Westminster and friends, like really to see life truly, like, like, like truly, We've got to see that often we're not that different from this man living in the tombs. Now, we may not all be, we're not demon-possessed, but maybe our hearts are already so hardened toward God. You know, maybe we've walked in the, the counsel of the wicked so long, or maybe we've, li we've longed for the things of this world so that Satan doesn't even have to use demons. He's just like, carry on. Man, you're doing great. Just, just keep doing as you are. You know, our cravings for beauty, for popularity, for success, for the perfect family, for, for peace may have led us down some roads that have enslaved us. Um, and, and like this man, we roam around the tombs today looking for life where there is only death. And now we may do it, we, we may roam around the tombs looking good while we do it. We, we may roam around the tombs in really nice cars. And, and we may roam around the tombs with, you know, a beautiful home, we've got our Gucci purse, man, we've got per perfect church attendance. We don't ever miss an attendance at church. 
But if you are not in Christ, deep down you know it and you feel it. And this is why you're so restless. Deep down you know that you are enslaved by sin and shame, seeking life where there is no life. And so if you aren't in Christ, you are a prisoner like Antoine. We have a dire need. The only hope we have is someone outside of us to come and rescue us, which is our our second point, the rescuer. The rescuer. Y'all remember in that documentary, The March of Penguins, you know, Morgan Freeman's voice comes on and he says, or he tells us that out of thousands of baby penguins, that a mother penguin can hear the distinct cry of their individual baby penguin. And out of this this sea of thousands of penguins, uh, this this mama can go make a beeline straight to their baby. They know the cry, respond to the cry. Well, like, like a mama penguin, Jesus was on the Sea of Galilee sailing through a storm because he was making a beeline to one of his children in need. You know, you wonder, like, why is he going through the storm on this lake with all these disciples? Well, we see where he was going to this man. I, I, think, I think I've definitely shared this uh, to varying degrees about our dog. Our dog is going to give me a heart attack um, any day now. Um, so our dog, Stone, has had this infatuation with the wiring in our house, right? And, and so, like, things like, uh, you know, telephone wire, security system wire, uh, cable wire, like, like we have none of those wires running into our house anymore, okay? And, and so then he discovered the internet cable, which was a big problem because that meant that my wife cannot watch her beloved reality TV shows, okay? And uh, I married at first sight, just has a new season. And of course, y'all know how the honeydews are, like, Richard, you got to fix this. Like, I don't know how to fix this. And so I go out, the only thing I know to do is like I put the wires together and I, ru- I wrap it in duct tape, okay? Well, apparently, duct tape is nothing for our dog because our dog just, he just bit through all that too. And I was telling, um, I think it was Larry Myers, talking about our dog problem, right? Um, and Larry Myers, of course, this is, this is in his wheelhouse, you know, fixing broken wires and putting them where dogs can't get them. And Larry Myers is very nonchalantly. I'm like, I, I have no idea how to fix this. Larry Myers like, Oh, I can fix that. There's just no problem. No problem. You know, have you ever felt, have you really ever felt unfixable? You know, have you ever felt like, I'm, it, I, I, there is no hope. Like, I do not possess the power to, to fix this. Like, too far gone. Well, please hear me. And part of that is understanding the gospel. That if Jesus can save this man then none of us are too far gone. That this man, he's about as unfixable as you can be. And Jesus looked at him, even with 6,000 demons, a man cutting himself, living in the tombs, and Jesus said, oh yeah, I can fix that. No problem. And he did. I love that the night before, Jesus calmed a storm on the sea with just a single word. And then the very next morning, he gets out of that boat And he calms a spiritual storm and gave salvation, hope, and freedom to this prisoner with a word. And y'all, if Jesus can do that with a word, just by speaking it, like how much more powerful is his death and resurrection for his people? I mean, talk about power over your bondage, power over your sin. 
Y'all, whatever it is that you are in bondage to this morning, whatever it is, Jesus has power over it. Period. I mean, like, it, here we even see that the demons, even the demons had to get his permission to go to the pigs. I love that. I mean, that's power. Speaking of the pigs, but, you know, some people wonder, like, why, why would Jesus, Jesus meek and mild, like, why would he do, he killed all these pigs. Like, why would Jesus do that? Well, Jesus didn't kill the pigs, you know. The, the demons did the killing. But, you know, there's lots of reasons why, you know, scholars will say why Jesus did this. But I'm just at least two for this morning. Uh, one, lest we forget, this gives us a visual of sin's trajectory and evil's desire in our lives. You know, like, what evil did to those pigs is exactly what evil is trying to do to you right now and is what your sin will do to you. It always, always leads to death. It will ruin you. And then two, Jesus cast the demons into the pigs to give this man a, a visual reminder that, that freedom and life had come to him. And for the next several weeks, whenever he walked down to the sea and saw those dead floating hogs... Uh, he would be reminded to have a visual picture that his demons were gone and he was free. Prisoner no more. But have you ever wished that Jesus would do something like that for you? Just kill about 2,000 pigs that you could, you could remember? Um, have you ever wondered that he would, like, wish that he would give you a sign to remind you that your shame is gone? That this isn't just wishful thinking, that there really is no, no longer any condemnation for you. No longer a slave. You are no longer separated from God. Well, Westminster, happy Easter. <laughs> that is exactly what he did. You know, with the cross and the empty tomb, Jesus gave us a reminder that he has taken your sin, our sin and bondage on himself, and he died in our place so that in him, we are no longer bound by sin or shame anymore. And as, as if that wasn't enough, then he rose from the dead so that we could know that God has accepted it. You know, like that if we are in Christ, we live every day, not beneath the words of, you are horrible, you are horrible. We live every single day beneath the words, it is finished. It is finished. You know, in Christ, we have the Father's favor and what happens is when in our heart we know we don't deserve that and yet we're met with this amazing news it's like it's undeserved that's when worship happens the explosion comes out and if the spirit causes that to happen opens your eyes to the historical reality of the resurrection you're gonna respond I promise which is how we'll close notice how this man responded this demoniac responded uh, well, one, he had clothes on, right? So that's a good start, right? He's got clothes on this time. Um, he, he's clothed, he's in his right mind, and he is sitting at Jesus' feet. And then he begged Jesus to go with him. He's like, Jesus, I, I want to go to seminary. Like, I want to go and learn with you, and I want to do big things for God. But Jesus said, no. Like, I, I just want you to stay right here, and I want you to tell others what God has done for you. Which is one, a very quick reminder that, you know what, you don't have to go to China to be a missionary. Like, you can stay right here. And you can go to your friends and neighbors right here. And just 
tell of what God's done. And so in doing so, Jesus was giving him a new name. No longer was he called Legion, but now he was one who had received mercy. Okay. If you are in Christ, this is what the resurrection means. It means your identity is not your, your sin. It means it is not your shame. No, in Christ, you have been renamed as one who has received mercy. And so if that's you, the response really is simple. I mean, you don't have to go to seminary, though you definitely can if you want. If you feel like God's calling you there. You, you don't have to preach a sermon. No, it, it's simply know and then show that once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. And once you had not received mercy, but now, because of the resurrection, you have received mercy. Amen? Amen. Well, let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for the joy of the resurrection. And we see even in this, this passage, Lord, everything that you did for this man in bondage to his sin and evil, Lord, you did for us on the cross. And Lord, you sealed it with your resurrection. Uh, Lord, that you've given us your Holy Spirit. Lord, thank you. Uh, may you cause us uh, every day to, to discover more of that freedom, um, more of the fact that there's no longer any condemnation for those who are in Christ. The Lord calls us not, just not to respond by like, awesome, let's sin. But to say, awesome, God, make us more like you. Fill us with joy. Restore us to the joy of your salvation. Thank you for Easter. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Hi, Richard Owens here. I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.